kind of special day when Fourth of July falls on a Sunday. We wish you all a very blessed Fourth of July as you celebrate the many freedoms that we all experience, freedoms in Christ and freedoms to come and go travel to many countries. And I'm so grateful for the United States. And I'm going to be talking about the United States and the role that the United States is playing and in my sermon title today is Winning the Argument or Winning the per Person. As we prepare to begin, if you would like to stand, you're welcome to stand, otherwise you may remain seated. Opening hymn is for the beauty of the earth, Purple Hymnals, number 92, verses 1 through 5, for the beauty of the earth. Before our prayer a petition intercession, maybe we should sing America the Beautiful first. We might feel a little more like doing what Robin suggested. Robin, you have a message today? In, okay, in place of Mike and, okay. Okay, Purple Hymnals, number 696, please.
Father God, this morning, we thank you for the rest of last night, for you are God. We come in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We thank thee that thou hast brought this day to a, a new, fresh Fourth of July. And we thank thee that thou didst give rest to our bodies and our soul, that thy hand has been over us, that the hand of God has been guarding us and preserving us and forgive forgive our feeble faith and all the wrongs that we've done this day and the days of our life and our country and our land and help us to forgive all who have wronged us grant that we may go through this day as we celebrate the the many virtues of freedom that we experience that we may fall asleep this evening with a penny peace beneath thy care and a defense from the temptations of darkness. Into thy hands we commend our loved ones, we commend our household, we commend our church and our future. We commend our body and our soul, O God, for thy holy name be praised. We ask, O Lord, that this country, and we call it tis of thee, the sweet land of liberty, of thee we sing, a land where our fathers and our mothers and our brothers and our sisters died and our friends and our relatives, land of the pilgrim's pride, from every mountain side, let freedom ring. Our native country, we ask, O Lord, the land of the noble free, thy name we love. We love thy rocks and thy rills, thy woods and thy templed hills. For our hearts with rapture thrills like that above. Let the harmony of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit swell in our breeze and our breath and ring from all the trees sweet freedom song. Let mortal tongues awake. Let all that breathes partake. Let the rocks that silence breaks the sound proclaim that our fathers and our mothers, God, to thee, author of all liberties, to thee we sing. Long may our land be bright with freedom's holy light. Protect us, O Lord, by thy might. Grant God, our King, our Father, our Son, our Holy Spirit. For, Father, we, we sense that there is, there is division in our land. We pray, Father, that as we gather, we gather in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, welcoming those who are visiting us by way of television or radio, many for a first time. We ask for the members of God's family, our brothers and the sisters and one another, that there are no outsiders here among us, that no one has any special standing or bragging rights, for we have been brought together by the redeeming love of Jesus Christ. We ask, O oh Lord, your special blessing upon those who need a hand of healing for the continual prayers of Hope Tabor Ashenbrenner, successful bone marrow transplant, the continual prayer for full recovery for Hope and Diane Laverdee as Mike and Tina are traveling to see Mike's mom. We thank you all for Father, for the continual prayers and blessings upon those who are celebrating birthdays and anniversaries, for my wife, Chris, for Dolores, and Marie, for those who have celebrated anniversaries, for Jim and Charlene Mayer, as they wish to thank everyone for their well wishes and prayers, for them as they celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary. We pray, Father, that you would inspire us through your word. We ask a special blessing now upon our scripture as we prepare to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 through 25, and Ephesians chapter 6, 12. As we're reminded, O Lord, of your ever-present care, as you taught us all to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, 
on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And at this time, I'd like um, Robin, as Robin Larson comes and shares. Robin is, is certainly a force to be reckoned with. He's very talented in many ways, and you never know what's going to come from her, her wonderful lips. Good morning. As Randy, as Randy mentioned, we had the annual conference for the state of Minnesota from June 22nd to the 24th. I'm going to be basing about that as well as the scripture around it and what we as Christians are instructed to do even though the conference right now may not like me. Um, the conference in so many ways was very contradiction and propaganda. They talked about tolerance, but tolerance is only acceptable by their own terms. Anyone who disagrees is called a racist, bigot, the rest of liberal name calling, get that every day. Um, day one of the conference, they talked about the scamdemic and uncomfortable because the so-called virus letting the virus dictate your life when Christ says, do not fear. In the second part, they were talking about Black Lives Matter, white fragility, anti-white. Well, last I saw, the Lord already gave his life 2,000 years ago for everybody. The second day, some of these so-called pastors, in the words of Clint, backed up in scripture, Matthew 3, 7, hirelings, if you cannot preach the Bible, only the Bible, then you are a hireling and get out of the pulpit. Wednesday, I got in, I mean, the lunch break, we had small groups. In the small group, they cared more about their pronouns than the word of God. In the group I was in, everyone was very taken back how we do things. One said, well, we have a God board entreating Mother Earth and asked to share testimonies. I said, we had all of it. We do testimonies weekly. I said, we even open up the pulpit if anyone wants to talk about theirs. I said, and we also have... We should have altar calls, but we do say the prayer to give peop let people give their lives to the Lord. One thing I shared in the, with the two of my group, they were taken aback. I said, the one who does the lay sermons, he has two saints. And I said, when someone asks him, how are you doing? He says, I'm blessed and highly favored, even though at times I don't feel like it. And the other is forgiven and very thankful. The look on their faces was shock. I said, we only preach the Bible. Only the Bible we call sin by its name. Anything else in scripture, we don't touch that. I got at the end of the small group, how did we survive the scamdemic? I said, we didn't close, we kept going. Our Bible study grew from three people to 12. I said, we're also on Facebook, Twitter, maybe Rumble, YouTube, iHeartRadio, Podcast, and Spotify to grow our ministry and do what we're told to preach the good word of Matthew 24, 14 and 24, 34, Mark 13, 10. And I'm trying to keep up avoiding censorship, chateau banning. My former synagogue had a few of the sermons censored on YouTube, so I know it's only a matter of time before we get censored. At the end of the small group, after we get done, I mentioned to Pastor Randy the quote of Dr. Ben Carson. There is no white, black, Asian, Hispanic, Native American privilege. There is only one privilege, and that is the American privilege. If you're a... If you are in America, you're privileged. If you're born here, you're privileged. If you're on American soil, guess what? You're privileged. He is right. Day three and four is critical race theory, which goes against everything Dr. Martin Luther King stood for, as well as W.E. Dubois, as well as many other civil rights movements. One of the many things I got all the conferences, they want us to compromise. Guess what? We don't compromise, and unfortunately, majority of these so-called pastors, hirelings, don't have a spine. And it is very sad to see if this were the if this if this were the church is going to be called, you call things what they say in Ezekiel thirty-four verses two to four. You don't compromise the Lord and Scripture. You don't bow down to sin. The global Methodist is just another step of what is next to come to one world religion, one world government, and the rise of the Antichrist. I hate to say it, but it's right here, right now, and we're looking at it. The vaccine, in my opinion, will ring the mark of the beast. And take a look around you. Take a look at the segregation. Take a look at what some companies are doing. Take a look 
at what some organizations are doing to other people and ostracizing them. Take a look. Because the United States, if we're divided, we're not going to make it. And these so-called elites want this country divided. And the words of Donald J. Trump, if we are divided, if we are united, nothing in America will stop us, and we will be protected by the Lord himself. Amen. I, when Mike hears this, he's going to certainly be inspired. You know, you challenge people. You, you speak from the heart. You know, I, I've been going to these annual conferences for almost 60 years, uh, 50 years almost as a clergy, and I've seen ministers, ministers and, you know, lib very liberal ministers and very liberal laity, you know, introduce themselves more recently as they, he or it or she or it. It kind of comes from, you know, the, the whole concept of the LBGTQ, the lesbian, gay, pansexual, bisexual, queer, the plus, Plus means any other derivatives or pronouns that you want to add. And when I see fellow clergy introducing themselves and trying to make shortage of the various letters of LGBTQ+, it's, it's really a, a learning experience. You know, I, they, they try to keep ahead of us by their sense of what we used to call toleration, but there is, you know, uh, grace is uh, from God, and we don't want to make grace out to be cheap, cheap grace, because it was our sin, the sins of humanity that put Jesus on the cross. Jesus said to the woman, go and sin no more. Which brings us to uh, some of the scripture that I'm going to be talking about today. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 through 25. That's 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 through 25. And on our church Bibles, it's on page 212. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word as we turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, 24 through 25. It's not that this so-called numerality is in any way new. This so-called new morality is basically the old immorality of throughout time and creation. And Paul was writing to the church at the various churches in Rome and Romans 1 and 2, and the list is almost unimaginable where Paul is dealing, dealing with sin. Now, sin doesn't really change, you know, according to God's word and God's standard. But he's writing to Timothy here, a young pastor, and he's writing to you and I today, and he says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kindly to everyone. An apt teacher, they even had apps in those days. An apt teacher, patient, correcting op opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant that they will repent, and come to know the truth. And then if you would turn back with me to uh, Ephesians chapter 6, 12. On our pew Bibles, it's found on page 195. 195 in our pew Bibles, Ephesians chapter 6, 12. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. And I think that as you and I view this 4th of July, probably view it that in many ways it could be our last 4th of July maybe as a congregation, maybe as a nation, maybe as an aspect as we see the world falling apart, as we see the world growing in a sense of uh, worldview, worldview rather than biblical view. Christians are called to be of the biblical view, but when I see a lot of Christians becoming 
more worldview grounded and more aware, aware of decisions that they make according to worldly ways and more world view rather than biblical views grounded in the word rather than grounded in the world. It's, it's kind of a sad fact, certainly a sad fact. I believe that um, you probably have to certainly be living on an island and it should not be news that our country was divided before the election and it's not news that our country will continue to be divided for possibly months and years to come and hopefully it's not news to you that this nation desperately needs desperately say it with me desperately needs the people of God which are you and I people of God to model to model and to exemplify and to exercise a, a better way a better way forward the theme is uh, for United Methodists for the next few ways, um, years is a way forward they're trying to figure out what way forward we should go now for those churches that can hang on for a year or so they the division will definitely occur both sides want division it's just a matter of who gets the assets of church property who gets the assets of seminaries methodist seminaries who gets the assets of methodist nursing homes and methodist hospitals and methodist pollocks um, publishing houses and the list goes on and how the leadership of the church understands and truly goes into their understanding of what they want and they have to be very 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 careful about fake news fake news has always been around even in Jesus time and those who they trust in and those who they really believe in and you need to really be anchored in the word of God and what God has to say the world needs to see in us in you and I that it's it's possible for people to be passionate to be passionate about our beliefs and at the same time compassionate as we are passionate on our beliefs we need to be compassionate towards those who hold different views and hold different values I'm often reminded in John Wesley's journal who's the father of Methodism John Wesley would have a great deal of problem with what's going on in the Methodist Church last Sunday I I went home and I was I normally catch a number of religious programming in the morning before I come to church and in the afternoon on religious broadcasting on television and I I happened to tune in on the Presbyterian Westminster service Westminster Presbyterian Church and a very large um, congregation at the time I think um, they boasted um, a number of membership but they went through division on the same aspects of division that you and I in the Methodist Church are dealing with and the front of the church was just massive and the choir choir loft you know they had like seating for some 24 to probably 50 seats of a massive choir but their choir had dwindled down to about nine people nine people and two of the many clergy the two of the many clergy were speaking on the subject of gay pride month which was during june you heard probably a lot about gay pride and and two of the presbyterian ministers that were doing the service that day were were gay gay and lesbian themselves they were talking about their partners and talking about certain aspects of their ministry and I I thought you know am I listening to the Presbyterian Westminster you know congregation and as they talked about the fact they used the word coming out coming out and they encouraged people to come out he he said how he just in the previous week had googled the word coming out and he was just surprised on the hundreds of statements in the Bible on coming out and then he kind of I felt I personally Randy Tabor felt that 
he was twisting scripture because he, he used how Moses used the word coming out of Egypt, coming out of Egypt, and he used words of Jesus when Jesus spoke to Lazarus, come out of the tomb, and how both he and associate, one of his associates, I don't know about the other, it was just the two individuals, one read scripture, the female, and the other male minister who identified themselves as gay, lesbian, transsexual, bisexual, queer, plus, plus, which means, you know, it's just easier to, nowadays you and I are just kind of getting used to this, the they or he, we had a discussion in our Sunday school class, I hesitate even saying anything in our Sunday school class because I, I just want to listen, you know, and utilize the time. It's, it's, it's a glorious time. If you haven't come to our Sunday school class, um, taught by Ira Sims, and just uh, it reminds me of, of, you know, how Noah must have dealt with the criticism in his day when he went about talking about the flood that was going to come, and people thought, flood? What's, what's a flood, you know? And in, in Noah's day, there wasn't such a thing as rain. There was just always a heavy dew, a heavy dew. So, I mean, when they seen Noah building an ark, they thought, why an ark? You know, why an ark? But when they seen the heavens break forth and the mystery of actually water coming from the skies above, and they got desperate and they started knocking on the doors of the ark because... You know, you can only tread water for just a brief period of time. And God caused a recreation after the flood. Well, in his, his journal dated October 6th, 1771, John Wesley wrote that I met those of our society. He was talking about the early Methodists, although they hadn't coined the name Methodist at the time. They were called society or clubs. And then they became known as Bible moth because they studied that they were like moth to wool, the early Methodists. And they were called Bible clubs, or Bible societies. And as John and Charles Wesley were kicked out of the church, kicked out of the Anglican church, their father's church, Samuel was a, an Anglican preacher, and, and they were not allowed to preach in any of the Anglican churches. And then they went to the hillsides and the, and the saloons and they started preaching, preaching. And, and because of the results of, of their taking some of the bar-type bar hymns, bar-type um, melody and putting Christian tunes to it, uh, it, there just became an explosion in Christianity. There was what... The Dark Ages became really the, the great awakening, the great awakening. I read in a devotional today that that great awakening by, by the Whitfields. Whitfields, it was such a great awakening that even when they came to the United States, they, they took up George Whitfield's tomb. They opened his tomb, and they felt that if they just had articles of George Whitfield and the great awakening, they removed his collar and they cut up his collar and divided it among the troops that just those symbols would empower them overcome the British. And, and it's always you and I, we're not overcome and overcomers, but it's only by the word of God. And in his journal dated October 6, 1774, John Wesley wrote, I met those of our society which were the early Methodists who had votes in the ensuing election. And John Wesley, the father of Methodism, advised them, number one, to vote, always vote, never give up voting, but never vote for some fee or reward for the person they judged most biblically worthy that followed the Bible. And then secondly, to speak no evil of the person they voted against. And then thirdly, to take care that their spirits were not sharpened against those that voted on the opposite side, the other side. Wesley knew that politics, even before 
you and I celebrate 4th of July and our liberty and our pursuit of happiness, Wesley knew that politic, politics could bring out the worst, the worst in people. And, and Wesley knew that, that when we allow our differences to become personal and we let our spirits become embittered, we are no longer able to be the salt and the light and the leaven in the world. Or he might say we are no longer able to spread scriptural, biblical holiness across the land. That angry people, even if they are right, even if they are Christians, cannot heal an angry, angry nation. Believers who make their differences with others personal and who attack the integrity of of those with whom they disagree cannot elevate the conversation or build a bridge that, that takes a society to a better day. This isn't only true when it comes to natural and national elections. It's valid when it comes to church, when it comes to politics and the church and to differences regarding how we address issues like racial justice and or same-sex behavior, this critical race theory that's being pushed and prodded upon the white population to make themselves feel privileged and feel guilty because of their whiteness. Nothing is gained by demonizing the person who, who dis disagrees with us. We do not create a better future by becoming critical of the other person's motives. We do not honor Christ by demeaning the worth of another human being made in the image of God, and we will never win people over to our side by showing contempt for their intelligence or contempt for their belief. My um, eldest grandson, Gabriel, just turned six, and then Michael is four, and Delaneous too. Gabriel has learned all of the names of all of the presidents of the United States and what they stood for. Gabriel reminds me that there's, I think, 13 presidents that don't have um, middle names. He knows the first, middle, last names and, and the order of all the presidents and what they were stood for and, and their, their hobbies and their interests. And he... He has this passion for, for history, even at an early age of four and five and six. And even at two or three, he was not only reciting the alphabet, but he could say it more quickly backwards than I could say it forwards. I, I took time this summer to do some reading and extra reading, and which I probably should have done long ago. And one book that I enjoyed immensely was Doris Kearns Goodwin's book on Abraham Lincoln. My grandson's favorite president is Abraham Lincoln. And this book was titled Team, The Team of Rivals. And in the midst of our country's most divided hour, the most divided hour which we called a civil a civil war, almost contradictory terms, civil but yet war, a civil war in the midst of our country's most difficult hour, Abraham Lincoln found himself not trying to um, hold a nation together, not only trying to hold a nation together, but, but also the factions within his own political party some of whom demanded the immediate and the complete abolition of slavery and others who wanted to go slower for strategic and, and pragmatic reasons. Abraham Lincoln encouraged people, regardless of their views, not to attack others with, with thundering tones of, of rage and anger and denunciation and anathema. Why not attack your 
your opponents and their beliefs, you may ask. Why not attack your opponents and their beliefs? Well, according to the author Goodwin, Lincoln believed that denunciation would inevitably be met with denunciation and hatred by hatred and crimination by crimination and anathema by anathema. And he believed that, Lincoln believed that it is the nature of any free person, any human being, when told that he or she should be shunned and despised and condemned as the author of all the vice and the misery and crime in the land to retreat, to retreat within themselves, close all the avenues to their head and their heart. Lincoln believed it was better to employ the approach of erring. What did he mean that night? by erring man to an erring brother and his sister. He felt that following the, the old adage that a, that a drop of honey catches more flies than a, than a gallon of gall, attack, condemn, and recrimination, and, and we may enjoy the feeling of being morally superior to those we despise, but, but we will never change We'll, we will never change someone who sees things differently for the better. Convey contempt for the other person with our words, our actions, our, our tone of voice, and we won't build a bridge. We'll burn them. We won't create loving and lasting relationships. We'll destroy them. We won't help a person to change. We'll move him or her to become defensive, and we will lose our influence we might have in, in their lives, his or her life. Paul told Timothy in our scripture lesson that the Lord's servant, if you acquire and attain to be a servant of the Lord, you must not be quarrelsome, but be, must be kind, kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful, Opponents must be gently, gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. 2 Timothy chapter 2, 24-25. When you and I, when we engage others who hold different views or who attack us for our beliefs, we, we have a decision to make. Do we respond in such a way that we prove ourselves right? and in the process make them look foolish and, and show their arguments to be shallow? Or do we respond gently and, and kindly in the hope that God will use our words to bring them to the knowledge, the knowledge of the biblical, biblical truth? In other words, which is more important, winning the argument or winning the person? Jesus went even further than Paul Jesus told us to have, to love our enemies, to love our enemies, people who agree with us and those who don't, people who vote the way we do and those who don't, people who are fair to us and people who are not fair to us, people who like us, like us on Facebook and those who attack us and delete us on Facebook. Jesus said we must must love not only our friends, not only our friends, but we must love our enemies. If you love me, I will respect you, and if I love you, I will respect your dignity and care about your opinions. I will listen to you and, and value what you have to say. I will be kind to you even when you are cruel to me. I will not impugn your, your motives or or attack your intelligence, or try to embarrass you in front of others. I will take care that my spirit is not sharpened against you because you voted differently than I did, or, or because you are more liberal in your understanding of the scriptures than I am. If I love what I believe to be true more than I love you, I fail you, myself and my God. 
Our nation is deeply divided in many congregations, regardless of denomination and faith group. They're dangerously close to coming apart, perhaps more so than at any time since Lincoln served as president during a so-called civil war, almost contradictory terms, civil, but yet at war. And there are times when we must battle for our beliefs, but Paul's words remind us that we are not fighting. We are not fighting against people. We're fighting for people. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, according to Ephesians 6, 12. We fight against ignorance. We fight against deception. We fight against darkness because we are for people, even those, especially those, who we believe to be in error. This is a difficult moment. This is a difficult moment, but it's a moment of opportunity. It is a moment when we can show the world that the people of Jesus, the people of Jesus are different. When others shout, we listen and we talk softly. When people are angry and try to make others angrier still, we act with gentleness and kindness. We believe that all lives matter, not only black lives, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in God's sight. We learned that at a very early age when we sang that song. Jesus loves us, all of us, red and yellow, black and white. We are precious in God's sight. When others delight in dividing people, we find joy in, in bringing people together. We, when others say that different, differing politics and values must separate us, we say and show that the love of Jesus can bring us together. Choose kindness. Choose gentleness. Choose listening. Choose understanding. Choose to be different. Choose love. I am so grateful for our television station that televises our, our service, radio, Facebook, all other means of communication. When they allow other voices, sometimes only 15 to 20 minutes or even at the most a half an hour, they granted us over an hour and a half last week. I watched that service a number of times, hour and a half. We went an hour and a half, and they pushed other stations to allow us to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. I close, and I never quite finished, because there's so much that could be shared. Luke 24, 26 says, Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? We're still in that season. Abraham Lincoln was a farmer, was a backwoodsman, who later became an attorney who rose from humble beginnings to all the heights of, of political power. And during the dark days of the United States Civil War, he served as a compassionate and a, a resolute president. Depression. Psychologically, as a I study his letters and his articles and his statements and his writings. Psychologically, he suffered from depression and he suffered from mental pain were his frequent, frequent companions. Yet the terrible emotional suffering he endured, endured drove Abraham Lincoln to receive Jesus Christ by faith. Lincoln told a crowd told a crowd in his hometown in Illinois. He said that when he left Springfield, when he left his hometown, he asked the people to pray for him. And he said he was not a Christian then. He was not a Christian then. And when he buried his son, when he buried his son, 
which he wrote was this severest trial of agony and depression and, and suffering that he ever experienced, the severest trial of his life. Abraham Lincoln recorded in his diary that he was not a Christian. He was not a Christian. But when he saw, when Abraham Lincoln saw the graves of thousands, thousands of our soldiers, and then and there, Abraham Lincoln consecrated himself to be a Christian. And he wrote in his diary, I do love Jesus. I do love Jesus. Life's most painful tragedies can bring us to a, a deeper understanding of the Savior. It wasn't long after the resurrection of Jesus that two men walked the road to Emmaus. And they were dumbfounded by the senseless murder of Jesus, of Jesus of Nazareth being placed upon a cross. And then a stranger joined them, and, and this stranger gave them scriptural insight about the suffering Messiah, according to Luke chapter 24, verses 26 through 27. The stranger was Jesus himself. And Jesus ministered to them, brought them comfort, and their eyes and their minds were opened. Heartache. Heartache has a way of, of um, pointing us to the Lord Jesus Christ, who has shared in our sufferings and can bring meaning to seemingly end, endless and senseless pain. Father, this morning, with every head bowed and every eye closed, though tragedy, heartache, and sorrow abound, and many a hardship in life will be found. We just need to put our trust in the Savior of life, for he can bring hope in the midst of night. Suffering can teach us what we can't learn in any other way. There are those in our midst who have experienced the loss and the death of loved ones, who felt that life was really at the end of the road, who their spouse may have been more than 50%, may have been almost 90 to 99% of their life. And to go on with the inertia, picking up one foot after another, just the inertia of getting by one day at a time. There are those who are experiencing financial difficulties. There are those by way of television, by way of radio, who, who think they are a Christian, who feel they're a Christian, who feel and hope they're a Christian, but they don't know if they are a Christian. And we all become a Christian by three simple, easy steps, the ABCs that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of the God, and that B, we need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and then we need to confess him as our Lord and Savior. With every head bowed and every eye closed, would you repeat after me this prayer? Dear Jesus, I thank you for dying for me. I have sinned in what I've done and left undone. Forgive my sins, O Lord. Come into my heart and life. Empower me, O Lord, by your Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Would you join me in the offertory prayer that's printed in our bulletins? Holy God, who both calls us and confronts us, the gifts we bring to you are only a small part of a multitude we have received from your goodness. In the depth of our being, we know that in calling us, what you really seek is our faith, our belief, our conviction, our very hearts. When you long, for from us is not a trip to church, but a lifelong journey into the world to follow Jesus with our whole being. Forgive our unbelief, our holding back, and lead us in the way that frees us from the grip of the world, the way of life. In Christ we pray, amen. As our ushers circulate the offering plate this morning, let us turn to our offertory hymn, 
O Word of God Incarnate, Purple Hymnals, number 598. Purple 598, please. you stand with me for the doxology, please? Father, we pray for the spirit of truth 
from the cowardice that dares not face new truth, from the laziness that is contented with half-truth, from the ignorance that thinks its truths and knows all truths. Good Lord, deliver us. God of boundless generosity, as we offer our gifts and our time and our talents to thee and our lives to you, help us to hear and heed your Apostle Paul, for we long to grow as disciples so that we grow in generosity, the abundance we've been given has a purpose in your plan, that we might know the joy of sharing that abundance with those in need. We long for that vision of your kingdom where loving hearts bring a better balance between abundance and need. In the name of Jesus Christ, our teacher and redeemer, we pray, amen. If you haven't thanked Gary and Darwin for recording and, and for Joe for lighting the candles each Sunday, thank them. <laughs> 